2,500 cyclists a year are killed or injured in bike accidents involving motor vehicles. Bike safety is simple. First, become familiar with Chicago bike laws. Know your hand signals and when to use them. Love your brain. Get a bike helmet that fits your noggin and deck it out with a headlamp and some reflective gear for riding at night. Bike at least three to four feet away from parked cars to avoid being struck by a car door being opened. Motorists can do their part, too, by checking their side view mirrors for bike traffic before exiting their vehicle. Most importantly, remember that we're sharing the road. Looking out for both ourselves and each other is the only way to keep Chicago's roads safe, no matter what your wheels look like. For more information on bike safety in Chicago, visit www.chicagobikes.org. This public service announcement was brought to you by Radio DePaul, Chicago's college connection. Rich is just a really, really, really good guy. The term good egg isn't enough to describe him. He's also certified organic and free range. Rich puts the cap back on everything. The toothpaste, the olive oil, the shampoo, everything. He lets his 10-year-old nephew beat him at virtual tennis, even though he can straight up slay his 10-year-old nephew in virtual tennis. When the toilet paper is running low, Rich replaces the roll on the actual holder, not just on the back of the toilet. Rich is texting and driving. Rich, no, what are you doing, Rich? I was just telling everyone how great you are. Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Broadcasting live from our new state-of-the-art studio in downtown Chicago, it's Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of World Sports Roundabout, the only show out there that looks at sports around the world and in a roundabout way tells you what the sports are all about. And I'm very glad that I remember that from last week. I was panicking all last night saying, okay, what is, what is the intro that I'm going to use? Uh, uh, World Sports Roundabout, uh, sports are all about, uh, what, what's the middle portion? But I'm glad I remember. Um... Welcome to this Monday edition of the show on January 24th, 2022. Um, I do want to apologize for last week. Last week, totally unprepared, you know, nerves and stuff like that. Um, you know, first show up for the new quarter. You know, we want to do better. I'm going to do better. And so this week, I stayed up all portions and portions of the night just to make sure that this show gets on the air. And is actually a much more smoother and cleaner transition. So, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Canada, our great neighbors to the north. Uh, excuse me. Sorry, I just accidentally tore off a sheet of paper here today. Okay, here we go. Canada, our neighbors to the north, and frankly has a big hand in, you know, shaping a lot of our history in terms of sports in general. You know, we have, like, baseball history and basketball history wisdom as well. Ice hockey history. Um, you know, they're some of the best in a lot of ice sports. Um, and so, obviously, we're going to start with ice hockey. 
Now, we did speak about the NHL last episode, so I'm not going to go into depth about that. Um, they do have seven teams in the NHL. Montreal Canadiens, Winnipeg Jets, Toronto Maple Leafs, Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames, Vancouver Canucks, and the Ottawa Senators. That's the one I was trying to forget. I always forget the Ottawa. But hockey is still their pastime. If baseball is quote-unquote America's pastime, then hockey is essentially Canada's pastime. So how does that work, essentially, you know? Like, you have this show, you have this sport that, like, you know, you guys supposedly love, and yet you only have seven teams in, like, the biggest hockey league in the world. Well, that's where the beauty of Canada comes in. And this might be one of the few times on the show that I talk about a junior league, uh, not even a minor league, a junior league. But I'm going to here talk about, and spend the majority of time, talking about the Canadian Hockey League, the CHL. It is essentially the junior leagues in where, you know, minor league hockey. I don't say minor league hockey, but like minors, you know. Think of it kind of like, uh, like it's essentially the minor leagues of junior hockey. Uh, and junior hockey generally means anything from like, um, from when you're a kid to about high school age. Is from what I understand that there are um, exceptions to that rule. So, the CHL is split into three different divisions. It is split into the OHL or the Ontario Hockey League, the QMJHL, or the Quebec Major Junior League. Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I'm sorry, I forgot the H. And then we have the WHL, which is the Western Hockey League. All of them play 68 games in a season. And all of them represent the CHL in some way. Now, there is this one major cup that all junior teams play in. And that is, looking here, the Memorial Cup. I have it, I have it here. I have it like written in where I have the Memorial Cup and I have the Allen Cup. I'll speak about the Allen Cup a little bit later, but the Memorial Cup is the big tournament in Canada. It is essentially um, the Little League World Series, except better, uh, way more competitive, and frankly, uh, if you're in Canada, it probably is equivalent to, like, I guess the World Series, maybe? Just because, like, um, it's one of the bigger sports viewing events out there. Um, now, the Memorial Cup is actually kind of special, too. So you have the champions of the three leagues that I just mentioned. And you have a fourth team that rotates between the three leagues. I don't know. I don't think they're having a tournament this year. But I believe last year it was the QMJHL that actually hosted a tournament. So you have the three championship teams. And you have a fourth team that rotates between the league. Interestingly enough, if the host tournament actually wins their respective league, then the runner-up actually takes over the champion spot. So you could have a situation, which has happened before once in 2006, um, in where a the winner of the Memorial Cup isn't a host team or isn't the champion of its own league. I find that very uh, very cool, actually. Like, imagine, I'm trying to think of how that would work 
in um in this in the, in like American sports. I can't even think of an example because like how many sports is it in where like a host you have a host team and then you have three other teams coming from various other leagues. I'm trying to think of a good example. Um but I simply just can't. I, I think it's just a very interesting sports concept. Just having a fourth team, you know, rotating between the leagues come in and then that team somehow wins their championship so a random team comes in. I don't know. In any case, uh with the Memorial Cup, it's a round-robin tournament. Each team will play each other once, so three games. Uh, since there's four teams, three teams make it. Second and third play a semifinal game, and the first-place team goes on to championship. They're all single eliminations, so if you win, you move on. If you lose, you, you're done, stuff like that. And then you have a championship game. You have a championship game to really decide once or for all um, who is the greatest junior league team? And again, these are kids anywhere from 15 to 20, depending on like eligibility and stuff like that, and depending on like, draft status and stuff like that. But it's one of, it's, it's literally one of the biggest, most important tournaments in Canada, honestly. So the big thing is we need to speak briefly. I say briefly, but it's it's a decent amount of information on the leagues involved. You have the WHL, you have the QMJHL, and you have the OHL. Now, I was trying to figure out which league is essentially, like, the more powerful. The most powerful, rather. It's kind of difficult because, you know, they're treated the same. They have the same season structure. There are 68 games. Um, there's at least 18 teams in all the leagues, um, they're generally split into two conferences. Um, all their series go to seven. They share a lot of similarities, and I think that's partly because they're all part of the same hockey governing body. Um, but there are some differences, and I did kind of compile it in order of strength. So I'm going to start with the weakest based on the research that I was able to do, and that is the Q, or the QMJHL. I got to stop doing the acronyms because, ooh, that's a five-letter acronym, and that is difficult to remember off the top of your head. So it is considered the weaker league. There are some great players that have come from the Q. Um, you have players like Sidney Crosby, uh, Mario Lemieux. You have Ray Bork, um, Patrick Waugh. You have Martin Berdor. All of those players have come from the Q. But the Q, based on what I've seen, is generally seen as the weaker league. And I think it's partially because of two reasons. One, there's only 18 teams, and most of those teams come from Quebec. And two, it's the playoff structure. Because there are 18 teams, and all of them have to, all the leagues have to kind of have the same playoff structure. So if you have 18 teams and the playoff structure is eight teams and all the conferences go in, that means that two teams just simply aren't going to play. And then you have 16 teams coming in. At times, you have a conference that goes in to the playoffs. 
strictly just like they just it doesn't even really matter the record of the team in last place in the conference. They're automatically going to the playoffs. And granted, they could surprise you here or there. But in reality, I mean, they are the last place team in that conference for a reason. And I think that's partially because uh, that's that's partially why it's kind of seen as the weaker league. They play for the President's Cup. And I believe the President's Cup is also a cup in the NHL. But that's the that's the real President's Cup. I also believe that it, the President's Cup actually used to be what the Memorial Cup used to be called until rather recently. So then after that, it's kind of difficult to pick pick a hockey league. Both the WHL and the OHL are kind of equal, I would think, in footing. I'll go with the OHL just simply because the WHL is technically larger. Um, the OHL has 20% of the NHL players today have at least played a game in the OHL, which I find amazing, honestly. I mean, granted, in America, you only really have generally one governing body for minor league sports. And, you know, it's kind of like saying, oh, um, 45% of all NBA players uh, come from the a AAU, play the game in the AAU, which, I mean, yeah, that's great. But, I mean, with Canada, since you have three different ways you can get into the league, all very viable viable methods, you know, structure-wise and stuff like that, I think that's, I think that's honestly pretty cool. Um, I do not know any players from the O necessarily off the top of my head because I think Connor, the only player I would actually like know, know is like Connor McDavid. And I believe he played, or did he play for the O? I thought he played for the W, but maybe he played for the O. Well, in any case. Um, but anyways, the structure is essentially the same thing. Um, I, I know a lot of teams from the O, the London Spitfires was like, <laughs> when I used to play, uh, NHL 15, like, I would always sign with, like, the London Spitfires just because, like, it's a cool logo and stuff like that. And then you have, oh, there is one other thing that I wanted to mention about the O. Um, despite it being a Canadian league, there are teams in the United States. There's a team in Pennsylvania, and there are two teams in Michigan. So if you are happy, so if we have any Michigan viewers here, and you want to see some Canadian hockey, go to the O. I don't remember exactly where it is now. I remember the W because I remember specifically like trying to figure out where one of the towns is. And I cannot remember that town, so don't ask me. But I know that it's two in Michigan and one in Pennsylvania for the O. The W is the, longer, the largest league per se. It has 22 teams. It actually has a U.S. division. It actually has three teams in Washington and one team in Oregon. And I'm sure you can guess where the one team in Oregon is located. That's right, Portland. Um, and I'm sure you could probably guess at least two. Suppose Kane is one. I think the other one is Kent. And I think Kent is a relatively uh, decent-sized town. And then there's a third one with a longer name that starts with a K, but I do not remember that off the top of my head and stuff like that. The WHL's playoff system, while it is 
technically the same as everyone else. It has a little bit of a quirk to it. So with the W, the you have you have your four divisions. You know, East, West, and the East, and then Canadian and United States and another. Um, the top seed or the division winners are top seeds. Um, and those are based strictly off of records. So, I mean, if an Eastern Conference team division winner is better than a Western Conference team division winner, well, clearly there's, that's going to be one and two, stuff like that. So they are top seed. They're, they're always going to be one, two throughout the playoffs. After that, the next four teams are, you know, ranked based off records. But in the second round, those rankings reorganized they are reorganized strictly based on record so an 8c could technically be a 4c you know a 6c could technically be a 3c etc 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 um this is just made simpler for just like viewing purposes and stuff like that i mean if you technically make it into the second round of playoffs you technically are the quote-unquote fourth best team near the playoffs so i think that's pretty uh that's pretty nice. And they all play, I, I think I mentioned this before, they play all their games at seven. They play for the Ed Grinoer Cup. I think that's how it's pronounced. I believe it's worth uh, just based on how the Canadian alphabet goes. But, um, yeah. So that's essentially minor league hockey in a nutshell. Um, there is one other league per se. There is the Allen Cup. That is the senior league. Although, really, if we're going to be, like, nitpicky, that league is essentially just junior players that already use their uh, their exceptional status. Not, not their exceptional status, but they ran out of junior league eligibility. So, again, I think I mentioned earlier in the show that, like, Junior Hockey League is essentially just, like, high school age and stuff like that. Like, a lot of the leagues here, like, accommodate for school years and stuff like that. Like, they'll pay for school. They'll pay for transportation from school to the actual hockey rink for you to practice. They'll take – they'll space out games so that, like, it doesn't totally interfere with, like, school. That's really cool, but you can only do that for so long. Like, even – even NHL players technically, when they're drafted, or my junior players when they're drafted, can technically get like one or two years over their limit, but then they run out of eligibility at some point. So let's say that you're, you know, you ran out of eligibility, but you're not good, really good enough to play in the NHL. You would play in these senior leagues that are spread out all across uh, Canada, and they play in the Allen Cup. Um, it is essentially just a standard bracket tournament. I believe there are 256 teams that are technically eligible to play in the Allen Cup, and then they just play each other until they come out with a tournament champion. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some soccer. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, and, of course, companionship. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. 
intuitive, and now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance will come in with this group. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit the shelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to World Sports Roundabout. We're going to talk about soccer. Now, you might be kind of curious and wondering exactly why we're talking about soccer. Because, I mean, if you know anything about Canada, you're probably wondering, uh, you're probably, you know, football, CFL football is probably the sport that you're thinking of. Like, all right, yeah, hockey is the sport that, you know, everybody loves and stuff like that. But, oddly enough, soccer is the second most uh participate in sports after hockey. And then after that, it's technically curling, but uh, there is a decent-sized percentage for uh, gridiron football. But we're not talking about gridiron football quite yet. We're talking about Premier League soccer. And not just any Premier League soccer. We're talking about Canadian Premier League soccer. Now, this is a recent league. But I have seen games on it on ESPN. And this is a league that was formed in 2019. They technically only had four to begin it. They actually recently expanded the league to eight. I believe they are planning to expand it to 12 in the next three years. So congratulations to them. They run their soccer league a little bit differently than everybody else. At least most leagues that I know. So they do it kind of similar to American soccer in the sense that there are, it's a tournament, general tournament style. So you have eight teams. They all, every team makes it to the playoffs um, and they play a game and then whichever team wins moves on. They don't do the aggregate system like, you know, other leagues or championship tournaments and stuff like that. Um, what is interesting about this league is that. Unlike most, and I believe they do this for a very specific reason, and I will explain why in just a minute, they have essentially two seasons per season. They have a spring season and a fall season. The spring season runs from April to Canada Day, and generally I believe Canada Day is always July 1st. And then they have an 18-game season from late August to mid-October, and then they have playoff games running through November. So it's essentially an April to November season with a break in the middle. Now, I couldn't find this to be exact, but I believe it's around the time, around the summer, in where the transfer window for most other major soccer leagues occur. So that space between... uh, July and August is specifically used for the transfer window. At least that's that's my guess. I mean, it would make sense, of course. Like, why would you take a break in the middle? Um, 
to, you know, do your soccer league. Because the, they only play 28 games. I, I think that's really the most important thing that we have to kind of discuss, too. They only play 28 games. You can do that between April and October. You could actually probably do it simpler, because I believe, thinking about it, let's see, if four weeks are in each month, and you divide 28 by that. Oh, well, that's seven months. Okay. Okay, never mind. I was about to say, you could do a game every week, but that's not necessarily true. You'd still probably be in the uh, exact same boat that you're in to begin with. Oh, boy. Okay. So, that's the Canadian Premier League. They were mostly doing it because they had a lot of, you know, they saw a lot of MLS success. You know, they have three teams, Toronto FC, CF Montreal, which I'm I'm just going to refer to as the Montreal Impact because that's when they came into the league as. And Vancouver Whitecaps FC, Vancouver Whitecaps. I mean, that's just simple as that. So they have those three teams in the league. And, you know, based on that success, they, and, you know, they have a lot of semi-pro leagues. They just decided to create a bigger tier one soccer league. Now, there is a championship between all those teams. You have the MLS teams, you have the Canadian Premier League teams, and you have semi-pro leagues. Um... I'm going to try my best because these names are actually in French. Um, I'm going to try my best to translate this. It's the Quebec Major League Soccer League. And then there's League One. I believe, yeah, I believe that's French. Both teams are central in Quebec. Or leagues are centralized in Quebec. I'm not going to go over those leagues because they play essentially a very similar schedule to the uh, Canadian Premier League with some differences here or there. What I will talk about is how the Canadian <laughs> Premier or the Canadian Championship is kind of held and stuff like that. It took me until about three a.m. to kind of understand how this ha- how this worked, because for the longest time there were only eight teams, and they were all semi-pro leagues, and you know two from each semi-pro league just played an eight-team tournament. But because of the MLS teams and the Canadian League, they had to come with this up with this new format. And I'm going to try my best to explain it to you today. Okay. So, the three MLS teams, the eight uh, Canadian Pro League teams, they automatically qualify for a tournament. It doesn't really matter what they did in seasons past and whatnot. They automatically qualify. Two of the semi-pro leagues, however, two teams get to fight for that position. They only come from those two leagues that I mentioned earlier. So, from that point, you have, and and I hope I'm doing the math right, you have 13 teams. 13 teams vying for one champion spot. Okay. Three of those teams automatically move on to the first round. You have a preliminary stage, but three teams that qualified automatically go to the next stage. Now, based on what it says here, 
it says that that is strictly based on their performance the prior tournament. Now, last year and a year prior, they didn't have a championship due to the pandemic and stuff like that. So, I believe that's strictly based on their tournament result in 2019. So, three teams get to play in the next league. The remaining 10 teams play in the preliminary round and a single game elimination. Then they move on. Now, how those are determined, I do not know. You know, I'm guessing it's random matchup and one team, you know, what are what are four, two teams essentially play in the first round against each other after they play the preliminary round. But essentially then it's single game elimination after that. Most times, the MLS team wins. And for good measure, because there's a lot of as a talent disparity between the semi-pro, the Canadian Premier League, and the MLS team. Now, granted, the Canadian Premier League teams generally do, or a team generally makes it to, the semifinals. Um... But they have never won it. Um, Vancouver has won the previous two in the newest format. Um, but I think it's just an interesting concept. It's really confusing in the sense that, like, you know, we, we I think humans in general like to operate on, like, an even things because it's easier to divide and stuff like that. Like, you can do things in odds, but, like, you know. You can you can easily divide eight by two and stuff like that, or you can do eight by four if you're you know a mad scientist and you want to destroy the sport that you have created and stuff like that. But to do things by three, saying like three qualifying teams do it, you know the remaining teams get to fight it out, and one group just moves on to this next round. You know it's it's a bit weird. It's a bit weird to me. Um. It's just an interesting concept. But that's what I love about, like, sports all around the world and stuff like that. It's just, like, things that I would find weird are just fascinating. And so that's why this show kind of exists here today. That's really it, though. Like, soccer, they they do have a lot of history with soccer, um, although I could not... I. It's my failure that I didn't bother to write any of it down. <laughs> um, but they are rising in FIFA ranks. I believe, I do have this written down, that at one point they were ranked as high as 14. So that's good. That is good. Now, granted, they're never going to be, you know, on the par of, like, you know, France. England or Italy or Portugal or the Netherlands or Brazil or Spain or Argentina, you know, but they're probably on par with like the U.S. and stuff like that. Like take, you know, take a look at like uh, CONFAFA results. I hope I'm pronouncing that league right. Which, by the way, was the premier champ, not the premier championship, the Canadian championship. That's what they're playing for. A spot in the CONFAFA 
are concave fafa. Concave, I believe it is, because it's like C-O-N-C-A-F-A-F, Confafa, championship. They're playing for a spot in that. Canadian teams have actually done relatively well in those. And in group play, where they're playing other national teams, I believe, don't quote me on this one, they actually qualified for the next World Cup coming in this year, actually. It's in Qatar this year. Yeah, they qualified this year. So, Canadian soccer is definitely growing, although the rate is growing. I'm not 100% certain. And, excuse me. Not really certain about the growth, but it is a growing sport in Canada. It's the second most populous, second most played sport in Canada, um, probably because it's a team sport, and they do love those team sports stuff in Canada. That's, that's, that's At least that's my guess. We're going to briefly talk about basketball in Canada. Um, it is the talent level in Canada isn't quite exactly the par. There aren't a ton. There aren't a ton of very, I want to say, viable professional leagues in Canada. Um, but they are very passionate about basketball. A lot of decent Canadian players will come down to America and play. I went to school when I was at the University of South Carolina, and two of the dudes were really big uh, prospects from Canada, three-star prospects, which, I mean, depending on what school you go to, a three-star prospect might be a very, you know, very high-ranking prospect. You might get a four-star here or there, but three-stars are generally what you're looking at. And I want to I, I, I wish I remember his name. I think his name was like Carlos Silva. I'm pretty certain that was his name. And I think he actually played um, in a G League relatively recently. But I believe he was a big Canadian prospect that played really well for the uh, University of South Carolina Gamecocks basketball team. Um, the most famous Canadian basketball player born in Canada is Andrew Wiggins. Steve Nash is the best Canadian <laughs> basketball player, but... Andrew Wiggins is the best that was actually born in Canada. Steve Nash, from what I actually learned, was actually born in South Africa, but grew up in Canada. Thus, he is not exactly a Canadian by birth. He's Canadian by, like, or maybe he is, like, he's not, yeah, he's not by birth, but he's a citizen by, like, I think it's one of his parents is actually Canadian and stuff like that. But Andrew Wiggins is, like, a natural-born Canadian, despite the fact that Steve Nash does work for uh, Team Canada for their basketball program, stuff like that. There are two leagues, two professional leagues. I said that there aren't too many professional leagues. There are two. And I say they're not valuable because there wasn't a ton of information to find on them. Um, you had, you have the National Basketball League of Canada, or the uh, B or the NBLC, how they like to be called. Um, they have four teams. Because of the pandemic, they actually had to contract a lot of teams, but they actually had at most 12 teams at any point. But they only have four teams right now. And so that's why I was kind of worried because financially it doesn't seem like they're in a great spot right now. And then you have the Canadian Elite Basketball League, a newer league, starting in 2009, they have 12 teams. But I could not find 
too much more on them other than the fact that they had 12 teams. I do, however, want to talk about a story. And again, this is a lot of firsts on this particular episode. This is the first time that I'm going to tell you guys a story about something I learned recently. Okay. The 2015 finals of the National Basketball League of Canada. I want, to, I want you guys to close your eyes for a minute. I know we have a lot of Chicago fans uh, that listen to our show. Imagine for a minute that the Bulls made it to the, made it to the finals. That's a nice thought, right? And they're playing, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, the Mavericks was the first team that came to my head. So let's just say they're playing the Mavericks. You know, they're playing a very gritty, physical game that goes to seven games. Then the Bulls just don't show up for game seven. They're playing in protest because of the officiating in game five and six. Those games are very physical and stuff like that. And so they forfeit, and then the Mavericks win. This is exactly what happened in the 2015 finals. So I'm going to confuse it. I feel like I'm going to confuse the names if I try, but I'm going to try to do the names. So the Halifax Rainmen were playing the Windsor Express. The series is tied 3 to 3. Windsor had. Um, Windsor had shoot-around. And Windsor comes in early and then starts training with them before the... I'm I'm just going to use team names because team names are easier to remember. Before the Express are actually finished. So that happens. And that's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a red flag right there. Well, in any case, apparently one of the Windsor coach, the express coach, comes over because a ball is apparently on um, the Rayman side. And he tries to get the ball back. And the express are like, you know, no. No, the Rayman are like, no, no. Like, we're, we're practicing right now. You can't have the ball. According to some of the players, what happens next is that the Windsor coach, the Windsor express coach, essentially, like, you know, he's trying to get the ball, and one of the Raymen, you know, like, pulls the ball away and then flinches at the coach of the Express. So, naturally, when you're flinched at and, you know, you're trying to get something back, you've tackled him. And then fists are flying, and I don't—it doesn't state in the articles that I read that, like, it was a whole team brawl. But there were some members of the Express that were in that fight. And then a lot of all the Raymond team was essentially in there. So after the fight, uh, the Raymond are peed off. Because, I mean, hey, here's comes this coach. He's coming over here. He's trying to fight us, man. So they get on the bus and they proceed to go on home. They're not going to play in the game. They're playing under protest. They're playing under protest. Look. Our safety is in danger. We're playing this game under protest. If the league isn't going to do anything about this, we've told the police, we've told the league, they're not going to do anything about it, we're going to play this game under protest. So they leave. So the game is canceled 40 minutes before actual tip-off. People's tickets are refunded and stuff like that. By default, 
the Express, you know, the team that started a whole fight and stuff like that, they win the championship. And, you know, the fans of the team will be like, oh, well, it's unfortunate that this is it. But, I mean, they were going to win anyways, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, we'll move on. We'll live on. A lot of, la la diva, la. I don't know how the expression goes, but, you know. So, anyways, on the ride back for the Raymond, they're actually stopped by the owner. Um, I think this is about an hour before the actual, you know, game was canceled. Um, he tries to persuade them into going back and playing the game. Uh, supposedly, he offered a $1,000 bonus on top of whatever they salary, and the Raymond were just like, no. Um, so, what happens next? Well, you get kicked out of your own apartment with all your stuff, you know, kind of tossed away. Um, you get flights back to home and stuff like that. A police investigation is being held. And the basketball league essentially bans two coaches, a head coach and assistant coach for life, and indefinitely suspends all of the players. But based on what I was able to look up, it doesn't seem like they were suspended for that long. It looks like they were suspended for maybe one or two games, and then they were kind of brought back. The team itself was fined $50,000, which doesn't sound like a knot, but in Canadian dollars, that's probably... That's probably a good amount. I want to know what the exchange rate between Canadian dollars and American dollars is. Um, I think a coach was fined $4,000 and their coach signed fine $20,000. Again, two teams were kind of kicked out of the league and stuff like that. And yeah, and then the league kind of had some financial troubles. And then uh, that's kind of the story. It's kind of a weird thing to do kind of think about so one canadian dollar is essentially like a little over 75 cents so it is so it's not as much as i was thinking it is but like once those dollars start multiplying like it, it adds up like a lot but yeah well it's just kind of weird like imagine i i just think it's kind of weird for the express to not really have any sort of punishment at all i mean their coaches were the people involved on the express that were in there were suspended indefinitely, although as far as I'm aware, they weren't also suspended that long. I just feel like if you start the fight, you're in the wrong. I, I understand the protests and stuff like that. I just don't understand. I guess there's two, there's two lines of thought that I'm having right now. On the one hand, if you start the fight, you should be punished for it severely. And that's a head coach, so clearly the one who should be banned here is the coach that started the fight. On the other hand, I'm not really certain what you thought the outcome of it if you just not didn't play a championship game was. And I'm sure that the decision was a player decision and the coaches were just on board for that. And because the coaches are in charge, they're the ones who get punished for it. But again, I'm not really certain exactly what the expectation was for just not playing the game. I, I just don't really get that. That that doesn't really make a whole bunch of sense to me. But history is history. What's done is done. And, you know, I don't even think that those teams are even in the league anymore. So, whatever.
We're going to take one last break, and we're going to wrap up with the show with some good old CFL football. Stay tuned. Biking in Chicago is more than just a mode of transportation. It's a lifestyle. It's convenient, affordable, and with 13,000 bike racks, parking is never a problem. But with every reward comes a sidecar of risk. In Chicago, over 1,700 cyclists a year are killed or injured in bike accidents involving motor vehicles. Bike safety is simple. First, become familiar with Chicago bike laws. Know your hand signals and when to use them. Love your brain. Get a bike helmet that fits your noggin and deck it out with a headlamp and some reflective gear for riding at night. Bike at least three to four feet away from parked cars to avoid being struck by a car door being opened. Motorists can do their part, too, by checking their side view mirrors for bike traffic before exiting their vehicle. Most importantly, remember that we're sharing the road. Looking out for both ourselves and each other is the only way to keep Chicago's roads safe, no matter what your wheels look like. For more information on bike safety in Chicago, visit www.chicagobikes.org. This public service announcement was brought to you by Radio DePaul, Chicago's college connection. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. You hear it every time you finish a meal and never feel anything. But if we were able to associate this sound with a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural response from you. Save the food, why are we doing this, you may ask. Save the food, because this ad is trying to change your after-meal behaviour through brainwashing. Because food waste costs the average family $1,500 a year. Save the food, cha-ching, and 1500 extra bucks is like getting a pay raise. Save the food, cha-ching, you're promoted, which could pay for your child's braces. Save the food, cha-ching, you're promoted. Check out my braces. So when you hear this sound, rethink your behaviour. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Welcome back to World Sports Roundabout. We're closing out the show talking about CFL football, which I honestly think is the better form of gridiron football. The fields are bigger. There's more yards to gain. You only get three downs. You can kick the ball in the end zone for a point, and if you if you somehow you know pick up the ball, in or catch the ball in the end zone, you can kick it back to the team without a penalty. I think there's 12 men on the field. It is it's amazing football. I really highly recommend people watch CFL football. It should be uh, just making sure when June happens. So like right as school comes out, generally there's a game a week on NFL. Or ESPN, I think it's always ESPN too, just because like baseball's ESPN stuff. But during that time, but um, yeah, no, please, 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 you know, watch CFL football where you can. I mean, there's nine teams, you get 21 weeks of football. Now, granted, I'm not a huge football fan myself. I, I should say I'm not a huge one. I'm just not like a huge fan. You know, I'm a baseball guy. Baseball first, and then I like hockey, and then football is like a close, it's like tied with hockey kind of there. And then basketball is a close third. But still, but still, nine teams, 21 weeks, 18 games. Like, there's a lot of football to go around. And each team gets three bye weeks. So, I mean, they play six games and then probably get a bye week. 
I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing, I think. And, the, you know, the other great thing, too, is, like, they have their own Super Bowl. The Grey Cup. The Grey Cup. It is one of the biggest... I'm not going to go as far as say it's one of the biggest viewing events in the world. But consider this. Consider this. 40% of the Canadian audience will watch the Grey Cup. There are very few events in Canada that even get 20% of viewership. There is one, and I will talk about this if we have enough time, but the Grey Cup is the largest annual television event in Canada whatsoever. So as I mentioned, nine teams, 18 games over a 21-week season from June into November. There's an eight-week playoff. And, you know, they're split. They're split into conferences, but not divisions, just because there's only nine teams in the division. Um, there used to be more. I believe there used to be as many as 12. I actually believe there were as many as 16 since they had a U.S. expansion in the 90s. Um, but... The only team that really survived was the Baltimore Stallions, um, who had any sort of financial success, any sort of team interest and stuff like that. Um, and then the Baltimore Ravens came along, and then that was going to mess up everything. So that kind of messed up any sort of U.S. expansion. Excuse me. But. Oh, geez, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, that means that four teams in each division or each conference go into the playoffs and they just play. You know, they play high quality football. It's just great. I, I, I cannot I cannot stress this enough. If you absolutely can watch CFL football, please try to. It's just absolutely wonderful football. It's very passionate football. You'll see a lot of you know, former NFL players, um, you know, they'll go to the CFL. You know, you'll see how they fall out. They generally have relatively good success in the CFL. A lot of CFL players actually get their start um, in the CFL. The greatest example of which is Warren Moon, Hall of Famer. He played, I think he won five Grey Cups, and then he played Ooh, I want to say like 20 seasons, not 20 seasons. Jeez, that would be a long time. But he play essentially played like a good chunk of his career in the NFL. But he played like, he played a lot of football, man. I believe, I believe, I want to say it's like 20, 22 seasons of football. Warren Moon, jeez. Because he played a lot in the Canadian Football League. I want to say he played like 10 seasons in there. 23 seasons combined. He played 10 years in the Canadian Football League. And of course, the only other, but of course, the only other players that I absolutely know for sure played in the CFL was uh, Mike Vanderjack, the former kicker of the Indianapolis Colts. That's the only kicker that I know for sure. I know there are several other players, and I know that if I looked on the list, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's the player. But um, I don't remember the the player's name, to be exact. I guess it's yes. Oh, no, no. I have some more. I have some more stuff. I was about to say, I think that's it, because that's all I really wrote on the CFL. 
CFL is really easy to follow. Um, they actually, after, during commercials, they'll teach you how the game is played, how the game is different, and stuff like that. Um, so, it, again, if you, if you can, watch the CFL football. Um, it will be on June. Uh, they do have a season this year. Uh, they might they might do something with the XFL. I know talks kind of ended already, but they might come back. I think it'd be really cool. But in any case, I have two more notes. Um, one is lacrosse. Lacrosse is big um, among the indigenous people of Canada, which there are a lot of indigenous regions in Canada. Um, although there are a lot of senior leagues in Canada that involve lacrosse, there are only five teams in box lacrosse, which I feel like is the better lacrosse. It's a better lacrosse, I think, because it's smaller and it's indoors and like the hits feel much more natural because, I mean, when you're in a big field in lacrosse, you know, you're generally running around. You're generally like, you know, trying to. It's more of a technical. Meanwhile, uh, box is just more like, yeah, there's some technique, but it's just mostly physical and the fights there. I, I think it's just mostly the fights. That's why I think it's actually a little bit better. But the last little note, since we have about like five, five, seven minutes kind of left, I want to talk about the Tim Hortons Briar. It is the annual Canadian Curling Championship. It's an amateur tournament by, by chance, and it is sponsored by Tim Hortons. I don't know why that's really important. Tim Hortons sponsors a lot of things. But it is still something big. It's one of the biggest world championship matches of all. No, I'm sorry. That was wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm reading the notes that I have right here because I haven't written that this is the biggest world championship. But it's, it's the biggest amateur tournament because the winner of that actually goes and represents the world championships, which the world championships are viewed. It's one of the bigger viewing tournaments. That was the one example that I was talking about per se, but it is one of the bigger curling competitions. It attracts a lot of fans because of the amateurism, by the passion, by all that. It's accompanied by 16 teams based on like territories and providences. So a lot of teams are competing for spots and then the top 16 teams go in there and then they play tournament style. Of course, until recently, I say recently, it's more like eight, nine years ago, you know, if you win, you, your team doesn't qualify for next year's tournament, so you have to keep on going, keep on trying, keep on doing. You know, a champion this year might not even qualify for next year's tournament, but now recently they have done that. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any other information that's viable here. No, I don't... I, unfortunately, I don't understand. Like, there's a lot of inf other information that I'm reading right now, but I just don't understand the curling enough to explain that to you. I know it's a sport in where you push stones across the ice, and there's a lot of strategy that goes into, you know, how do you block them? How do how soon should you push for points? 
you know, it's points are strictly based on where the stone location is on a thing. Um, how far that stone is gets, you know, depends on like sweep speed and the power that you put behind a um, behind a stone. You know, there are so many other factors towards curling, but they're also like very technical terms. And as I was reading this, there's just so much technical jargon that unfortunately I, I we just don't have time to really dive deeper into that kind of stuff but that is essentially it i do have a couple of notes and just two notes really of that um rugby there's two teams that premier in europe's top rugby leagues and i'm not even just talking about rugby league i'm talking about rugby league and rugby union um the toronto argos play in the british Euro rugby union leagues and the toronto wolfpack play in the rugby league's top division if you have 11 sports the sports package for 11 sports you can generally um generally see them sometimes it's kind of weird i don't i haven't seen 11 sports in some time just simply because my uh, cable package just simply does not have it anymore. Um, but when I go home, I know I have 11 sports. I can watch it whenever I want. Actually, no. Actually, no. We just changed our cable package. Oh, no. That means I can't watch anymore. Oh, man. That also means I can't watch NPP baseball. Jeez. That's a bit of a shame. Well, I, that is it really for the show. For the next episode, I'm not 100% certain on what we're going to do. Will you talk about our neighbors down south in Mexico? Will we either go west to Europe or we'll go east towards Asia? I'm not really sure. I have episodes kind of planned out for that, depending on which route I go. I guess I'll do a round-robin tournament of three coin flips or something like that. And then <laughs> we'll see exactly which outcome comes out in the end but of course this was world sports roundabout i am brandon bones i thank you guys for listening in i'll see you guys next week i hope you guys stay warm you know stay inside do well in school uh or do well with whatever whatever you, you do in your life and i will see you guys next week bye guys I'm a champion, realize Shaq's mechanism. Nah, killing off a rat. It's not your normal PSA. Don't be stupid. Don't drink and drive. If you're gonna go out and have a good time, it's fine. But designate a driver to drive home. Let's stop the madness. Don't drink and drive. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. One in three adults in America have pre-diabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has mom, my.
In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Bet he can't say that in reverse. Rose crosses over the fadeaway. Live from downtown Chicago, you're listening to Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. 